because you have seen me, says the Lord. Blessed are they who have not seen me, but still believe. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst. And he said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus again said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And bring your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And through this belief, you may have eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Two thousand years ago, a man died on the cross. This was not very remarkable. Many others died too. It was an ugly death, not at all pleasant or good to look at. 
And this is not remarkable either. Many people throughout the years have died in terrible ways. One of his closest friends betrayed him, and the rest of his friends fled. This too is not very remarkable. It happens all too often. But what is remarkable is what happened next, what happened in that locked room. It is no wonder that the Gospel of Luke says that when Jesus appeared to them and said, peace be with you, they were first startled and terrified and troubled. Is it a ghost? Has he come to haunt us for leaving him to die? To punish us? It was only after he showed them his wounded hands and his side and said again, peace be with you, to show that it was really he and not a ghost or someone else, and that he came to bring peace and not punishment. It was only then they rejoiced. They rejoiced because Jesus had brought with him the forgiveness of their sins, the forgiveness of all our sins. Every Sunday when we say the creed, we proclaim our faith in God, in Jesus, his Son, his divine Son. We believe that he became man, that he suffered, died, and that he rose from the dead. Every Mass is a celebration of Christ's resurrection. We proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again, we say. We are so used to our faith and to these professions of our faith in the creed that we kind of rattle them off without thinking too much about them, without seeing the challenge of doubting Thomas. Why don't we say, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, I will not believe? Perhaps it is a little bit easier to believe in Jesus and his divinity when we don't expect him to appear in our living rooms tomorrow. But there is something that's even more difficult to believe than that God could rise from the dead. It is hard almost impossible to believe that God forgives our sins. After all, it is we who sin. Why should God put up with us? He doesn't have to. And we know just how hard it is for us to forgive others their sins, particularly when someone has betrayed us and hurt us deeply. It can take years for us to forgive our brother, or our sister, or our spouse. Some people never forgive. But somehow God is ready to forgive all sins, even the big ones, even the killing of his son. God, the Father of mercies, reconciles the whole world to himself. Nevertheless, the first thing that Jesus did when he appeared in that locked room, the very first thing was to give us a concrete way to grasp and experience the forgiveness of sins. 
He gave us. He gave the church. He gave those apostles gathered together the sacrament of confession, the forgiving and retaining of sins. We tend to think of our sins as being committed against a particular other person. You know, this, this person was robbed. This other person was killed. This other person was lied to against particular other people. But it's also the case that all of our sins are against God. All of our sins are choices against the good that God has put into the world for our benefit. And just like a parent who is zealous and protective of their children, so God is zealous and protective of us, particularly when we hurt ourselves or others due to sin. Today is Divine Mercy Sunday. We celebrate the divine light of forgiveness of sins that comes from Christ. We celebrate the gift that he gave to the church, blood and water flowing from his wounded side. We celebrate the joy that the apostles had in that upper room that Jesus had made all things right. So how do we enter into this? How do we participate in that joy? We do this by the sacrament initiated by Christ, by his breath, by his gift of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles, that same spirit that is given to their descendants and to all priests today to forgive sins by the sacrament of confession. You know, the first step in confession is definitely the hardest one. Deciding it's time to go. It's hard because we don't like to think about our sins. We don't like facing them. We don't like seeing them from a neutral point of view. And this is one of the great reasons that confession is such a blessing because it forces us to put aside all our excuses, all our justifications, all the lies we tell ourselves to make ourselves comfortable with our sins. It forces us to remember them. But not just to remember, to see how they wound us how they wound others in our lives. Confession also gives us a concrete opportunity to examine our conscience, to review our choices. Imagine a chef who never tasted the food that he made and cooked to see if it was good or bad. Imagine a student who never looked at their grades to see if they were learning or not. Imagine a husband or a wife who never asked their loved one how they could grow in their relationship. In all these important areas of our lives, we have ways to assess our progress, to review how things are going, and to then improve them if they're not going well, or to celebrate them when they are. And so this is the next step in confession, to make a good and thorough examination of conscience. This takes time, so that we can see our sins for what they are, how our sins hurt and wound us and make us miserable. And finally, have faith. Like doubting Thomas, believe that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead precisely for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of my sins. Forgiveness of your sins. 
Because our sins bind us. They trap us. They confine us. They limit us. But God wants us to be free. He wants us to have life, to share his life. For the love of God is this, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Whoever is begotten by God conquers the world. And the victory that conquers the world is our faith. So today, share in Christ's victory and confess with all your heart, my Lord and my God.